Have you ever wondered how you can start investing and how to get over the fear of starting to invest some of your money? Well, in today's episode, we go into just that. I got to interview Tay Sweat. Tay is a eight-figure millionaire, business innovator, investor, and author who has helped thousands of people globally become six- and seven-figure earners as a full-time business investor and stock market trader. He combines timeless principles with a forward-thinking approach to help his clients achieve their goals of financial freedom. Tay launched his first business, Sweat for Life, a health and fitness brand in 2010, Shortly after, he built and sold an eight-figure supplement company. Starting with minimal funding and support, he built his business into an eight-figure enterprise. As his success afforded him more opportunity for financial expansion, he took the stock market space by storm and began compounding his money through trading and investing. With now 12-plus years of comprehensive experience, he is committed to constantly learning, improving, and staying at the forefront of his industry. Tay has now coached over 12,000 people globally and is committed to using his skills and wealth of knowledge to help build stronger communities that could prosper for generations. In this episode, we go into so many great things from how to start investing, the fear of losing money, we go into his journey, how his most successful students are able to operate and how they're able to achieve that level of success and so much more. So excited for you guys to hear this episode. My name's Sophia. Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My goal is to make your 20s a little less of a shit show. So without any further ado, let's get started. Thank you so much, Tay, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. Love to start. So take me back to your 20s. And I want to hear like one defining shit show moment for you, or if there's a couple that come to mind, you want to hear about those. And yeah, let's start there. Absolutely. My biggest shit show moment, of course, uh, we talked about this a little bit before, is my bankruptcy. You know, it was probably one of the hardest things at, in my adult life because you feel like such a failure. No one wants to feel, you know, oh, I have to give up my house. I have to give up the car that I drive. I have to move back in with my mom and sleep on her floor. (laughs) And so for me, you know, going through the financial crash back in 2008, 2010, that time period. And, you know, I had it figured out. I thought at least I thought I did. And, you know, I'm making pretty good money uh, working a job, you know, making almost six figures a year. And I lost it all. Lost it all, you know, back on my butt and back at my mom's place. No car, no, no house. Uh, literally, I could barely pay my cell phone bill. And so it was really bad. So that honestly was probably my biggest shit show moment that I could think about. <laughs> and I'm curious, what age were you when that happened? I was I was actually about 20, 21 uh, in this time period. And what made it so tough for me was I had my first car at maybe 17. So I'm used to driving and having a car and just kind of being independent. For you know three or four years, and I know a lot of people are like, oh, 21, you were young, but it's still tough when you've been on your own, you've been independent, you know, at an early age. I bought my first house at 19, right? So I had my first house, you know, really good job, you know, worked at a warehouse and you know, made really good money there. And so to have it all stripped away and then go back to your mom's place, it was tough. It was tough. So I'm 21, 22, back at mom's. Okay. 
And I'm curious, like, after that, because I feel like that could have a big impact in, like, you believing in yourself, you're believing in your ability to make money, you're, like, so many things that could get affected by that. And also, like, this, like, thought of, like, am I always going to be in this place? Like, can I rebuild? So I'm curious for you what your thought process was then in terms of how did you get yourself out of that place? Where did you go from there? And I'm curious what was running through your brain at that time. Oh, good question. The number one thing that was running through my mind was, this would not have happened if I didn't allow someone to feed me or to take care of me, basically. And what I mean by that is we have a saying where I come from. If you allow them to feed you, you allow them to starve you. And basically where I'm going with this is I'm working a job and I'm waiting on the job to pay me my paycheck and I'm allowing them to feed me. <laughs> So basically, because I'm allowing them to feed me when things go wrong, I'm also allowing them to starve me. So the number one thing I put in my head was figure out how to make your own money, figure out how to be your own man. And however that needs to look, you need to figure that out so that the next crash, the next you know downturn or just the next hiccup, speed bump, you will be in charge. It will be your fault. If you eat, it'll be your fault. If you starve, it will be your fault. And so that was that number one thing running through my head. I like that quote. And I wonder if, if did you ever feel like a lot of pressure from that? Because then it's like, I, it's like up to me, whatever happens. Or did you automatically like go into a place of like, oh, this is so cool. I'm curious, like where you went to from there. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of pressure. I mean, daily. I mean, even now, you know, I've been doing this, uh, you know, 15 years. And even now, it's still a lot of pressure because once again, no matter what happens, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I, I love to take that angle because honestly, if you take an angle of no matter what happens, it's my fault. You tend to almost put things in place to make sure that, hey, it's it's my fault. So I need to show up. It's my fault. So I need to make sure that it doesn't go bad. It doesn't go wrong. Things don't fail. So when you have that notice in your mind or that that alert in your mind to say, hey, no one's coming to save you. No one's paying you a paycheck. No one's going to pick you up and make you, you know, wake you up and set your alarm. It's all up to you. Oh, yeah. Every day it's a <laughs> it's a struggle every day, you know, with the pressure. But I, I kind of like it. It's, I don't know. Is that weird of me? I kind of like it. <laughs> no, like it's like extreme ownership. Like you like that mm -hmm. you have that all in your control versus someone else's Absolutely. control. And from there, like I'm curious. So you move back home. What happened after mm -hmm. that? And how long did it take you to get to that place of like being where you were prior to when the bankruptcy happened? Yeah, good question. I'd say maybe a year and a half in sleeping on my mom's floor. It's the worst feeling ever. Because honestly, I grew up, you know, my mom, single mom, two, two boys. She didn't have a lot. So to move back with my mom, who's already kind of struggling, it wasn't easy. So I mentioned sleeping on the floor because she had a two bedroom and my brother's younger. So he's already there and he has his room. So I have to take the floor. Right. And so what's going through my mind is, hey, this is uncomfortable. Hey, you don't want to ever be back in this situation. Hey, figure it out. <laughs> so as I'm going through this, I'm thinking, OK, how can I figure it out? But make sure it's not a quick fix. Make sure this is something that is long term. It's, you know, solid. So I'm going through this process of finding ways to be my own boss, be my own, uh, you know, provider, basically. And so 
I realized, okay, if I'm going to do this, I need to create value. There needs to be some value somewhere. So the only thing at the time that I could think about valuable that I had was I knew how to lose weight. I knew how to help people make a lot of good weight loss results because prior to this, I was 320 pounds. I had diabetes, uh, type 2 diabetes. I had heart disease. I had high blood pressure. I mean, you name it. Uh, horrible eczema on my skin. And so I'm thinking, okay, I was able to lose all that weight. I lost over 120 pounds. It took me about 18 months. I also was able to get rid of the diabetes, the heart disease, the high blood pressure, just all through nutrition and working out. So I think, hey, you should go get certified and do this for a living. And so, hey, I, I decided to do that. And while I'm going through my certifications, I'm working people out. So my mom lived in this apartment complex that had a gym. So I decided, hey, I'll take people for 25 bucks a session. You know, and if you come in the gym, I'll see if you want to work out with me. And so I start building the clientele. Honestly, it just slowly built more and more from there. And I saved my money. I put it into more certifications, more, you know, honestly, just investing in myself. And as I invested more in myself and put it into more certifications, things like that, the money just started rolling in more and more. And that year and a half, I was at my mom's place. That was it. I was out of there. <laughs> yeah, that must have been so uncomfortable. But I feel like that would be great motivation, too, at the same time, to be like, I got to get Absolutely. my shit together and get out of here. <laughs> um, yes. So, wow. So that's a lot of weight to lose. And that's very hard to lose that amount of weight and keep it off. Yes. So I'm curious, like, in terms of the mindset of losing that much weight, I feel like it probably is similar to the mindset you use in your businesses into all the work you're doing now. What's something that you really took away from that experience that you apply now regularly? That's a good question as well. Probably something I still use almost every day. For me, I would see other people who lost weight. I would see other people who are, you know, getting you know, success, buying certain things in life that maybe we want to buy. And I started thinking to myself, these people are no different than me. They're human. They put their pants on you know, one leg at a time, right? And so I'm thinking, I go, wait a minute. This person lost 50 pounds. This you know, person lost 80 pounds. What's, what's, what's the difference? So I'm thinking, and it's almost like an ego thing. It's a pride slash ego thing. Because now I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute. You're no better than me. And if you can lose 80 pounds, 100 pounds, so can I. So at the end of the day, it's me that's in the way. So... I started, you know, and this is, I love this and I tell people all the time, I say, listen, we live in a Google slash search engine generation because back then I don't think we had Google. I think it was Ask Jeeves or something, <laughs> something different. But we lived in a search engine world, which basically says, hey, if you don't know about it, want to learn it, just search it, right? Just search it and you should be able to find something helpful that can help you learn more than you already know. So I just started researching things, weight loss, and I started reading books or, you know, magazines. And I said, hey, these people are doing it. I'm going to do it. And so as I'm losing the weight, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that's right. That's right. These people aren't better than me. I'm doing exactly what they were able to do. So I take that into, you know, my life, pretty much everything I've done, you know, personal training. I've seen successful personal trainers. You're no better than me. If I work hard enough, if I study enough, if I put the right amount of money in and invest in myself, I could do exactly what that successful personal trainer is doing. I look at Warren Buffett and people in the stock market because, of course, I'm, a, I'm an investor. You know better than I am. You just know something that maybe I don't know and I need to learn. I'll learn it. I'll figure it out. And I'll be just as good as you, if not better. So that's exactly what I use to this day. 
I love that. And when we think about those people, we really realize how we're so similar than we are different. And like, that's so helpful to go back to that place. And from all the experience you have now, I'm curious, what's something different you do with money today that you didn't do like maybe 10, 20 years ago that you wish you would have done 10, 20 years ago? Now we're getting there. (laughs) Okay, so I, growing up, especially, you know, you grow up somewhat poor, you have kind of like this wish list of things that when I'm not poor, I'm going to buy X, Y, and Z, right? And so a lot of the things that I've always wanted that were on my wish list because I couldn't get them, you know, as a poor kid, I started buying them. I started buying things. You know, I would buy, and I literally mean things. So the clothes and, you know, cars, I started buying these things. You know, in our world, in the finance world, they would say, you know, assets or liabilities. Well, these were liabilities. Liabilities basically take money out of your pocket. And and that's exactly what it was doing. Because I would buy these things. They would need maintenance or they would need upkeep. (laughs) So I had to spend more money. And then when it was time to maybe get rid of them or I was in a tough financial spot and I needed to sell them, I got almost none of my money back. (laughs) So it was just a, a, a very big awakening as I grew in my knowledge, grew in my understanding of life and the financial world. So what I started doing is realizing that everything that I buy from now on will be somewhat of an asset. And I say somewhat because there are some things that I've purchased that people would think were liabilities, but they ended up being assets. And so on the opposite side of liability, if a liability takes money out of your pocket, then an asset puts money in your pocket. So... I say that because one of the biggest purchases that I've ever made was a, a Lamborghini outside of real estate. I bought a Lamborghini and everybody's calling me crazy. They go, oh, that's the worst decision ever. That's a liability. You're going to be poor again. <laughs> You're going to go broke. And of course, by this time, I've done my research and I've researched and I say, no, there are certain type of Lamborghinis to buy. This is one of those special editions. This is going to be an asset. This is going to make me money. And after driving it, doing donuts and having fun in it, after I was done with it and wanted to sell it, I almost got 50% more than I paid for. And so that showed me the differences of how I should be, or really any of us should be spending our money. Find out whatever it is, find out how you can make it an asset. And so that, honestly, if I knew that 10, 20 years ago, oh. I'd be in such a, such a better place. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, how do you frame it if you want a liability? Like, if, let's say you just want something, you know, it's going to be a liability. How do you frame it in your head on in terms of, I guess, do you do like a ratio of this is how much assets to liabilities? Or what's your kind of thought process if you know, okay, this is a liability, but like, I really want it. It's on that wish list of like when mm-hmm. I was a kid something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Because we all we we all have those things, right? And so for me, I do a few things. Number 1, I ask myself or I tell myself, okay, this thing you're about to buy, you're going to lose 100% of the money. Is it worth it? And so I go into it and I think about it. And sometimes I do this with crazy stuff. Even with my my nutrition. Sometimes, you know, there may be a pizza that I shouldn't be eating pizza. I don't need pizza right now. But I think to myself, hmm, is this pizza going to be worth the calories and the work you're going to have to do in the gym? <laughs> and after I eat the pizza, if it was really good, it's like, oh, that was so worth it. You know what? I, I, I work out however long I need to. That pizza was worth the calories. So I do the same thing with my liabilities. And if I can, 
If I can be smart about it. If I can, what I'll do is I'll attempt to make one of the assets that I have pay for the liability. So I never had to use my time, my effort, or my or what I consider my money. So if I can put, I'll give you a great example. I just bought, so one of my favorite things in the world is shoes. I'm a shoe person. Right? I love shoes, shoe guy. And there's this outrageous amount of like <laughs> shoes that you can buy. They're called off-whites. And off-whites, they're usually going to be anywhere between $1,000, $2,000, $3,000 for a pair of shoes, which is crazy. And so I'm thinking, I'm not going to work for it. I'm not going to go <laughs> put my sweat equity and my effort into buying those shoes. So if I can actually put the $1,000 that the shoes are going to cost me into a stock, and if the stock goes up in, in value and gives me 2000 back, then I can justify paying $1,000 because I get my money back. And then the other piece, I can put it into the shoes. So that's essentially how I do things. I like to see if I can make assets pay for the liability. Okay. And then I kind of want to go back a little bit. Like, how did you mm -hmm. get into doing the work you do now with investing in stocks? I want to know, like, what was like the moment that you were like, okay, this is like my next thing I want to do. Absolutely. Fast forward through the whole personal training career. Um, I, I get pretty good at it. I get pretty good at it. The business is doing well. I've learned how to scale from only working in person because there's only so much time in the day you have. So I'm working online now and I'm working with a larger amount of people in a, uh, in a smaller uh, window, time window. So I'm able to make more. So at this point, I'm making seven figures a year. Basically, I'm still like living my normal life. I, mean, I grew up poor. Although I want to buy you know, nicer things, I don't want to go back to being poor. So I still drive my old Camry that I had. <laughs> I'm still living in my, you know, beat up apartment and I'm a millionaire and nobody knows it because I didn't look like it. And so I'm going through this thing and I'm thinking to myself, I can't sit millions of dollars in the bank because first of all, if you know anything about protection and, you know, FDIC, they only cover a quarter million dollars. So if you have a million there and your account gets hacked and they take a million out, you only are covered for a quarter of that. <laughs> so, so I'm thinking, okay, I need to find somewhere to put this money and, and to even make it grow. So the number one thing I started seeing was, okay, as I look at wealthy people or people who are well off, what are the things that they're doing to get well off and stay well off? There's only three. Eh, maybe, maybe it's an extra, but I'd say the three main ones, real estate, stock market, and some type of business ownership, whether they started a business or acquired a business, that's usually what happens, right? So I'm thinking, okay, which one's the easiest to get into? Real estate, you have to go and <laughs> you have to hire a real estate agent, and then you have to have the contractors or people. You have so many moving parts. So I started thinking, okay, that's a little bit intimidating. So real estate wasn't my way to go. So then I started thinking, well, I've already created the business. And of course, yeah, I'm making millions of dollars now. So you've done one of them, but how can you get into the next, you know, the second one? So I set real estate to the side and I just started looking at the, the stock market looks, it looks pretty good. And I realized that, oh, with the stock market, you don't need anybody. It's you and the screen. You go open your laptop, <laughs> you find out where to go as far as, you know, should I buy here or sell here? You push a button, the money goes in. And then if you're right, your money starts going up. And when I saw that, I went, oh, I like this. As an introvert, I don't want to have to deal with anybody. I could just push a button and make money. That's when I got into it. But of course, I wasn't good at first. Lost lots of money on my own. So I started seeking out help. 
and I kind of put into the universe. I, <laughs> I usually write my goals. I have my pen and my pad here and I write my goals down every day. Things that I want to do, things that, you know, I, I like to be or places I like to be. And one of those things at the time was, hey, if I can find someone or someone could just teach me how to maneuver the stock market, I'd be great. Well, I get a call from a good friend who's a personal training client of mine, who now is actually a good friend. He says, hey, there's a guy that wants you to train him, but don't charge him. Just go and train him and you'll figure out why, why I'm telling you not to charge him. So I go and work with this guy. His name is Charlie. Well, long story short, Charlie is a billionaire. And I go, oh, that's why he says don't charge him. So Charlie's a billionaire because he's played the stock market and the equity market and made all his money. So I'm thinking, oh, this is what I've been asking for from the universe, right? <laughs> so Charlie basically says, hey, I can teach you. If you're willing to train me, I'll teach you a few things. Nothing crazy. I had to still, you know, still had a lot to learn on my own, but he set me on a good path. And from there, it's history. <laughs> <laughs> and what are some of the things that you picked up from Charlie, like while training him? So number one, I, I picked up, believe it or not, and this is why I say I, it still took a lot of my effort and time to really put the things together. But the mindset of a billionaire or, or even just a wealthy person, the mindset of a wealthy person is so much different than the mindset of a poor person or just the mindset of an average you know, American. So I'm looking at how he maneuvers and how he carries himself and how he thinks. And so number one, <laughs> anything that he needed, he just sought help for it. I've never really seen that growing up because we always try to do DIY and we want to do it ourselves. And we'll go to YouTube. And we'll do this. And literally anytime he needed something, he'd snap his finger. He'd go, hey, find me a person who can do this. Find me a person who can do that. I need this. I need that. I need people who can do those things for me. And it really opened my mind because once again, where I come from, <laughs> you need brakes on your car. You go YouTube and figure out how to change your brakes. <laughs> changing your oil or cutting your grass. But I saw this man, he needed his grass cut. He's not cutting his grass. He paid somebody to do, you know, to do those things. I said, man. So really, I asked him, I said, hey, have you always been like this? Or is it something that just comes from you being rich? You know, maybe it's, okay, I have the money to pay people, so I'll do it now. He goes, no, I've always been this way, and this is how I got rich. And this is how people get and stay rich. Because there's certain things that you should not touch. Because your time would be more valuable doing the things you're good at. I go, oh, interesting. So he goes, hey, if I could pay the lawn, you know, the lawn care company, if I can pay them 200 bucks to do my whole yard and that saves me four hours and I can go back to work or go back to looking at the financial markets and I can make $2,000, then why would I spend time cutting the yard? And it just, my mind was blown. <laughs> and that one thing, Pretty much, I took it and ran with it. And from there, how did you like start investing? What was something you did in the beginning that you wouldn't recommend doing? Yeah, you know, one of the things that I, I learned from Charlie but didn't follow particular <laughs> or in particular is that you need to go find companies with good, we call them fundamentals. So are they making money? Are they going to be around for the next five, 10 years? Because some people have too much debt. He taught me how to find those companies. However, sometimes I want to gamble. <laughs> and I would find a company that, of course, went totally against everything he taught me, but it just looked fun. 
And I say, hey, if I can just get this one move to go to this point, I'll make a lot of money. And I'll put money into things that just didn't make financial sense. And I would lose the money. <laughs> I would lose the money. So for me, I had to filter a lot of my moves or a lot of my stock uh, investments. I have to filter them against the stupid filters, what I call it. And so, for example, one of my biggest losses, seven-figure loss, one of my biggest losses in the stock market was uh, shorting Google. And what shorting means for anybody who doesn't know, is basically you're betting against the company. You're betting that it's going to fall. You're betting that the stock will go against, you know, the stock market goes up when the companies do better. I was betting that Google does worse. Why would I do that? <laughs> Stupid filter, right? <laughs> and of course, I've learned my lesson and I'm, I'm actually happy that I learned that lesson. Mm. Yeah, you shouldn't bet against Google. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> That's funny. And then how did you like, how did you recover from that loss? Like in so, your mind, did you kind of like second guess like the next investment you made or like what what happened after? Absolutely. You set, you definitely second guess yourself for a while, for a while, because although I had made a lot of money, it, you know, seven figures is a lot to lose. One of the things I tell people now, I say, hey, you truly don't know who you are as a person until you lose seven figures. <laughs> because uh, honestly, we see people jump off of buildings and do things like that when, when they lose money. Right. And this really showed me who I was as a man, as a person. And yes, I was very trigger shy. You know, on the next probably 10 trades, you know, I'm thinking I should I have to switch up my strategy now and I should do this. I should do that. But the one thing I took away from it and it was so worth it. If I had to lose the seven figures all over again, I'd do it. The one thing I took from this loss was to look at the loss and see what you did wrong. And from there, I was able to kind of like reverse engineer this way of trading and investing. And it helped me to get better. And because I, it was such a big loss, I had a lot of attention on figuring out what went wrong. <laughs> so I, I really do think it helped. It pretty much was the turning point in my trading uh, career. And yeah, I'm very grateful for the loss. Mm. What mindset should we have when we're about to invest in something? Oh, it's good. The biggest mindset or, or the biggest thing I would say, the mindset uh, department, what we should have or what we should bring to the table is number one, how can this make me money? That's what investing is. Right? See, it sounds bad when you're when you're doing this in, in with a person. So if you're in business and, and uh, let's say a customer walks into your restaurant and you go, how can this person make me money? That sounds bad, right? Sounds bad. But with investing, this is literally something that you are there you're there to invest and make money so on the same side of how can this make me money how can i not lose the money and so for me it's one of the, i think warren buffett has these rules and he goes rule number one make money rule number two don't lose money right and so it's one of those things where it's like hey just don't lose the money and if you can make a little bit here and there and not lose it you win over time so definitely i think that's the first thing Everyone should, you know, have in the, in the mindset, you should bring that to investing. But number two, do not go in. We, we say naked. Don't go in naked. And basically what that means is, do you know anything about investing? If not, you're naked. And if you go in naked, you're going to lose. Find someone who's doing it successfully and have them teach you. It's the easiest way to get started. 
And what do you say to someone who like comes up to you and says, well, I can't invest money. Like I don't have enough money to invest. What do you say to that person? Oh, we hear that a lot. <laughs> so investing, it works for anybody, any price target, it can work. And the reason why I say this is because if you go to the stock market, there's thousands and thousands of companies and a lot of them are under a hundred bucks, to be honest with you. So most people who say, I don't have a lot, you know, I don't have a lot of money. I don't have this. I don't have that. What normally what I hear when, when I hear someone say that I don't have enough money to make the ideal amount of money that I want to make. So I have a hundred or I have $500, but I want to be a millionaire. So I don't have enough to invest. And so what they do is they kind of write themselves out instead of getting started. And what I see is if you just get started, honestly, you your money starts to compound over time. And I've seen people turn $500 into $5,000, and then $5,000 turns into fifty, and then fifty turns into five hundred k, and so on and so forth. So it just depends on you. Can you go in and get started? Can you get the help? you know, from someone who's doing it already actively. And if so, then that will determine the timeline on when your money doubles. So for a lot of people who are just getting started, maybe you should just go into longer term investing where you dollar cost average. Basically what that means is you put in 50 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month, a couple cups of coffee, right? You put in a couple cups of coffee and you just basically invest in the company that you know is a solid company. Apple, Microsoft, uh, or you could just do an index, you know, the S&P 500. You just put it in every month. And over time, what you start to notice is that, that the little $20 that you've been putting in starts to turn into 200 and then 200 goes to 2000 And before you know it, like I said, you'll be ready to retire. And what's your thought process on like long-term versus like short-term investments? Mm -hmm. I have, I have, for me personally, there's a place for each one. I love both long-term investing. I personally look at as, if I'm being honest, you're not going to get to enjoy that money in most cases. That's money for your kids or your kids' kids' your legacy. That's money for retirement, maybe. So, and the reason I say you're not going to get to enjoy it because honestly, most people who look to go in and invest, they want the money now and they want to enjoy it now. So, a lot of times, I just I just put in people's mind that long-term investing is not for you to enjoy now. It's for retirement or for your kids. And <laughs> so that for me personally, when I put that in my mind, it puts me in a space to just be patient and let it sit there. With trading, shorter term trading, that's money you can enjoy. And for me personally, I put majority of my money into more of the longer term stuff. And then I put money in, you know, the short term stuff that I can afford to lose. Hey. It's 2000 bucks. If I lose it, I lose it. But if I make money with it, short term, 2K goes to 4K, that's a solid day. And if I can get my money back from it, and so I put 2K in, I make 4K, I get my money back, I put it back in my pocket. At this point, this is what we call playing with the house's money. And so now, whatever happens, happens. And so that's what I love about short term trading because there is an opportunity to make a good amount of money and you can enjoy it now. So that's definitely how I look at long-term versus short-term. That's a personal preference. And what do you notice that your, your students struggle with the most when it comes to trading? That's a great question because there's a few things that I notice 
when someone comes to me and they go, hey, I want to learn how to trade, the first thing I ask them, why? Why do you want to, what, what's your why? What's your big why? And of course, most of them go, I'm ready to quit my job. I'm ready to quit. I'm tired of working. Okay, not bad. Now, the issue with that is <laughs> they're ready to stop working today. So they have this very small time frame that they're looking to quit. And so they get greedy. And so what I noticed is that's the number one thing that hurts all traders, greed. Why? Because when you get greedy, you put more money in than you should. So if you put more money into a stock and it starts to go against you, meaning you're losing money, then what happens is you also get fearful. And so the two biggest things or emotions in the market is fear and greed, and they work together. <laughs> the more greed you have, the more money you use, and the more money you use, the more fearful you get because you don't want to lose all that money. And so these are the two throttles that I say, hey, newbies or my beginners, please be careful with these two. Don't get too greedy. You shouldn't get too fearful. And how do you not go to either of those? Uh, it's, 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 it's definitely, I was just about to say, it's definitely a personal thing based on personal person thing. But what I would say is it's a, really it's all... It all boils down to risk management. And basically what that means is if you can find a small amount of money that you're okay with losing, then your fear usually is pretty low. And so what I do with a lot of my, my students, I say, hey, are you okay to lose a dollar? What, what if what if you just lose a dollar? And I don't know, maybe it's in your pants uh, pocket and you, you go to wash the pants and the dollar kind of crumbles up and it's no longer useful. They go, oh, it's a dollar. It's fine. I go, okay, perfect. That is the feeling I need you to have when you go into the stock market, especially with short-term trading, because it keeps your fear so low because eh, it's just a dollar. It's just a dollar. And so that allows you to give the market its time to move around. And, you know, sometimes it'll go against you. So a dollar goes to 80 cents. Maybe it goes to 70 cents. But you're thinking, eh, it's just a dollar. And by the time you look up and it's done, it's fluctuating. Now it's at a dollar 80. And you're thinking, ah, okay, that's the name of the game. But if you can't say, ah, it's just a dollar or whatever it looks like. Some people can say, ah, it's just a thousand bucks. Ah, it's just 10,000. <laughs> but that's the feeling you need to have when you go into the market because it will go against you. It will go against you. You will lose money. And then if you give it time and then you're, <laughs> and you're in the right thing, it'll eventually go to where it's supposed to go and you'll make money. And what do you notice is the difference between your students who like become the most successful, able to quit their job, do all the things they want to do versus the ones who don't get to that point? Mm -hmm. So actually, I just talked to a guy. So I do live trading. So basically, uh, when I go in to trade the markets, I pull up a chart. I'm on screen kind of we are like we are now. And I show where I'm getting in, where I'm getting out. And one of the things that happened today was uh, Travis is his name. And Travis is a full-time trader now. He came into my program. It's called STB, of course. And so he comes into STB, secure the bag. And I mean, he just goes crazy with the study, like the study time. He's thinking, hey, Tay, I've watched all the videos three times. And I go, whoa, wait a minute. And then he goes, and then everything that you talk, I went back and I looked at the chart and I broke it down. I looked at the past. So if you saw something today happen, I looked at the last five times that one thing happened because I wanted to see similarities. And that is what I noticed 
all of my successful students, that's what they do. They study, they put in the work, and then they take what I teach them and then they apply it to history and they go back and see where has this worked in the past. And when you can see that, the future becomes a lot easier. I have a couple final questions for you. The first one, what are you learning right now? And it could be any area of your life. Right now, believe it or not, I am learning how to be a dad. So I have a 17-month uh, son, and it's, it's one of the best things in the world. I'm, I'm loving every minute of it. But, of course, I'm not perfect with this. It's the first time I was, you know, I'm a dad. So I'm learning how to be a dad, but at the same time, how to be a loving husband, a dad, and still maintain my myself, you know. So it's it's a combination of things because you can know how to be a man, but do you know how to be a man and a dad and a husband while you're being a man? <laughs> so right now, that's definitely something I'm learning. And how are you like doing it all right now? Uh, honestly, you know, I'm very uh, meticulous in my uh, scheduling, so everything has a slot, right? So or or a time window, and so for me, I just make sure I budget time out for each thing. So if it's manly time and I need to spend time with myself or maybe I need to work out, whatever that may be, I wake up early before everybody else wakes up so I can have my man time. And so I get that done and then pretty much everybody wakes up. I get to go say, you know, good morning to my son and to my wife and spend a little morning time again. That, I love that part of it. So that allows me to, you know, have a little bit of that, you know, their time. And then at maybe, I say 30 minutes or hour later, it's market opens. So now it's time to live trade and, and be, you know, now I have to wear another hat. So now I'm the, the stock trader and the teacher. So I'm there teaching and consulting on what to do. And then when that's done, it's a little lunchtime. So I have a little lunch. And then usually there's this middle part of the day, maybe 1 p.m. to, I don't know, 4 or 5 where I do all my podcasting, things like that, interviews, whatever I need to do. And then I shut it down at about 6 p.m. because that's more family time. So now it's time to be a dad again, time to be a husband. And so, yeah, that's pretty much how I balance it. And what's something that's really helped you on your personal development journey? I would say reading books, number one, is definitely my first one. But also uh, journaling. Journaling is one of my favorite things. I mean, it's something I've been doing for almost 12 years now, and it's been helpful the whole time. And if you could give one tip to a new trader, what would your one tip be? There's so many. One tip, one tip. I would still have to lean in on this. And I, 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 I tread lightly saying this because, of course, I am a teacher. I am a coach. I'm a consultant. But it's what has helped me find someone who's doing it already. And, te and have them teach you. And the reason why is because I look at it like anything else. If I want to know how to play basketball, I'm not going to go YouTube it and go figure it out on you know Google. No, I'm going to go, if I get access to him, LeBron James, can you teach me how to play basketball? And who better to ask than a professional athlete, right? So for me, I'm looking for the professionals who can teach me what to do because they are already doing it. Yeah, and they know all the shortcuts, too. So <laughs> exactly. nice. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. And my final question for you is, if you were to go back in time and talk to your 20-year-old self, would you want to tell him anything? Or if you want to tell him nothing, that's an option as well. 20-year-old self, absolutely. 20-year-old self, number one, I would say stay away from women and work on yourself. 
And what I mean by working on yourself is, you know, get your hygiene together, get your, um, you know, because I think young men feel like we always have it, you know, figured out and we don't. So get your hygiene together, find out who you are as a man, get your finances together, get your health together. And once you have a good ecosystem for yourself, now it's okay for you to bring a woman into that ecosystem or whomever your partner looks like. You can bring them into that ecosystem. But I feel like it's something that's very unfair when you don't have things figured out for yourself and then you want to bring someone else into this inconsistent environment. (laughs) So as a 20 year old, I would definitely tell myself, figure out yourself first, get your environment together. Then you can bring someone else in. I love the way you said that, like ecosystem, because that puts it in like such perspective of like, is our ecosystem good? Not good? Right. Is it ready for a partner? It's not ready for a partner. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, that's great. And thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you taking the time to share all this with us. And where can we find you? Where can we connect with you? Absolutely. So I spend a lot of my time on Instagram. Instagram is just, I love it. And so you can find me at Tay Sweat, T-A-Y-S-W-E-A-T. And if you have any questions, just reach out and DM me. I will do my best to answer that. Cool. Thank you for listening to The Shit Show My 20s. I love if you could take a minute to leave a review on Apple. It would mean the world to me. And I will see you next time.